How do you build a life where you are excited to wake up in the morning, become excellent at what you do and create the greatest possible good for yourself, others and the world? That's our guiding question on The Masses Journey. Hey my friend, my name is Lucas Kramer, High Performance Coach, Co-Founder and your host on the Master's Journey Podcast where we have conversations with present and future masters of life and business to share with you how they found their path in life, the real challenges they have had to overcome and how they did it and what strategies, practices and questions you can implement in your life to follow in their footsteps. And today's episode is a special one because we get to welcome two amazing guests and friends of mine at the same time, Robert Murray and Daniel Fernandez. Robert is a certified high performance coach and an original master faculty exchange facilitator. He's leading the XJet movement to exponentially increase the levels of joy, engagement and teamwork in today's new generation of organizations. He's helping organizations with some of the most significant challenges they are facing right now. How do I adapt to the rapid change we have today? How do I lead a team virtually or in a hybrid work environment? How do I move live meetings online and keep them engaging and fun for the team? How do I handle my mindset when the whole world has suddenly changed around me? At 15 years old, Robert Murray grew a business with a group of friends from a startup to $200 million with the aspirational mission of being an example of how business could be if it focused on making a positive impact in the world. That mission was so engaging, he spent the first 20 years not even thinking of it as work. Rob has facilitated hundreds of powerful conversations both online and live in organizations such as Keller Williams, Organifi, State Farm, Google Pro Match, Dow Cloud and many others. He's coached hundreds of people to get more done, lead others better, develop skills faster and dramatically increase their sense of joy and confidence. Daniel Fernandez is also a certified high performance coach and experienced facilitator in diverse environments and has co-founded multiple businesses. His facilitation work includes cultural change workshops with General Motors executives in the USA and coaching workshops for entrepreneurs across North and South America and also virtual training and coaching events for coaches and other professionals. Daniel brings over 15 years of international leadership experience, including executive and leadership coaching, speaking and workshop facilitation, company culture change and management of IT operations and launches for $100 million plus manufacturing plans for GM. He has advised or coached entrepreneurs, business owners, real estate brokers and investors, startup founders, executives and many other professionals. Daniel has studied business at the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business, focusing on leadership and management, 
organizational psychology and high-performance teams. His coaching qualifications include being a certified high-performance coach, a certified next-level coach, and a certified rapid results coach with an expansive range of tools at his disposal. Thanks to the experience Rob and Daniel both have in facilitating large group experiences, they joined forces and are now building a powerful business, training life coaches to leverage their time and pivot from individual coaching into group programs so they can create the lifestyle they desire. During this conversation, we covered the mindset and actions Rob and Daniel developed to build genuine relationships in life as well as in business. As you will hear, these have, for example, helped Rob get to a point where he says, I've got 7,000 people waiting to hear from me. Daniel's beginnings in facilitation, how he dealt with the pressures we all face when starting something new and also with the resistance of others why the $200 million business Rob built with a group of friends ultimately failed and what he's learned from it. The most important qualities and requirements for successful partnerships in business and how you can become a remarkable facilitator of group conversations and meetings, whether it's at work or in your family life. We hear both Rob's and Daniel's origin stories, we managed to uncover things that they didn't even know about each other. And all in all, we just had a blast. There's so much to learn from these guys to level up your game in creating more engaging, genuine and productive relationships with others. So prepare to take a lot of notes. Here are for you, Robert Murray and Daniel Fernandez. Hey, my friend, welcome to a unique episode of the Master's Journey podcast, because today for the first time, we get to welcome two guests at the same time. And what better way to start this than to do it with two coaches and expert facilitators who basically thrive and live in this environment of group conversation. So I get to welcome Daniel Fernandez and Rob Murray. Gentlemen, welcome. Hey, Lucas. Hi. Thanks, Lucas, for having us on. It's so great to have you guys. And since people have heard what we're up to in this episode and with the ones to come, and since they know that you're just expert facilitators, I wanted to start right out with asking you, what are your favorite ways to start group conversations like this one or facilitations? <laughs> Rob, you want, you want to take it? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, this, I mean, this, this is a great topic because one of the things we figured out, we have a framework we call GPS, which is grounding. But grounding doesn't have to be like, you know, so like the very last one that we did, uh, we just did the wild dance party. So like do the crazy dance moves, copy somebody else that's, that's doing it and just get as wild as possible. The next one we have coming up, we're going to be doing a chicken dance. So, you know, like <laughs> you might think of it now we've done meditation, you know, we do kind of sinking in with ourselves, but in whenever we're doing a, uh, any kind of a group thing, you want to create a clean break from whatever they were doing in their life before to being present with the group right now. Mm -hmm. So it's really kind of a pattern interrupt to just like wash clean what you've been up to, 
reset, set intentions for what you're doing in this group. So that's the, the you know, Rob, you make me think about like the, the fact that we should all be doing that kind of thing before anything new that we move into. Like I started recently tracking my time um, at like and like if I'm tracking my time, I have to actually stop what I'm doing and start the new thing to track the new time thing. And I've realized I'm not always taking that moment to ground into the new activity and to release the old activity. Sometimes it's like I'm, I'm fluttering around like a distracted, you know, bat out of a cave and uh, like so that's why it's it's important just as humans when we switch things to do that. So and all the more important in a group conversation where you want to synchronize the energy of the whole group so that we can all together move forward. So like um that's why we, we start with grounding. You know, it's just it's important in a lot of ways, not just in group conversations. Mm-hmm. I love that. And then the second too. element, just to to go through the beginning framework, is something positive share. So what's something that happened that's great? Uh, what are you excited about? What are you excited to be in this on this call or in this presentation for? So something that automatically recenters them into a positive uh, frame of mind. Yeah, and that could that could actually be anything like like a, a happy memory you had this week. One one thing we like to do is like a, something relevant that was like a positive win for you. So whatever group you're doing, um, like what's the thing that happened this week relative relevant to this group? That was a win for you. And, um, you know, there's some way to positively frame people at, like you you, and it, you can do it different ways. Like it can be think about it. It can be journal about it. Um, and then, you know, Rob, you want to mention the third element. There's a grounding. Yeah. There's a positive frame. And there is and the third one is sharing. And, and one of the things that's really useful, and it depends on the size of the group, whether you can do this uh, or how you can do this is to get everyone's voices into the into the event as soon as possible. So if you have a small enough group, you can invite people to share the positive thing that they thought of or the relevant win. If you have 40, 50 people on a call, you can do it by saying, hey, everyone, we're going to take two or three shares. And whoever didn't get a chance to share, put your positive share into the chat box. And so then suddenly the chat box starts blowing out blowing up you can read a couple of those things but everyone feels heard like early early into uh, the session as possible yeah and this this stuff applies you know whether you're on a virtual or an in-person like it's still important when you're in person to exactly the same things we just talked about you have people ground and get present with the moment you have people like frame positive like you want to start from that frame so that you have a better you know session with the people um, and then you want to get voices into the room or into the call, whatever it is. Like, make sure people know, like, oh, this is going to be participative. I'm just not going to sit back and like, like, get distracted with my email or or like jump off the call or whatever. Like, you want to have engagement, right? It's a group conversation, you know. So, uh, so that's how we like to start start sessions. Is like those three elements, and, and there's many different formats. So there's like a billion possible combinations of things you could do. And you can do it. You can take like a couple of minutes to do all three really quick, or you can take a half an hour, depending, you know, what, what is appropriate and relevant for your particular group. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for that. And I can't wait to actually do this in practice in our next episode that we're going to plan. And I love that you already got so tactical already with real challenges for people, whether they're on Zooms, whether they are actually doing group coaching, whether it's in their family or whether they just need more focus in their own personal lives. And one of the things that I just got so excited about as we started rolling today, just before we started this actual conversation, you guys shared, you know, maybe in this episode, we're actually going to learn stuff about each other that we even didn't know ourselves. And that was where I was just 
yeah, I got the right question <laughs> because in preparation <laughs> for this, I noted the question down for myself to ask you guys, is there anything that you've always wanted to know about the other person? <laughs> I feel like I know so much about Rob, maybe a little too much sometimes. Um, <laughs> I, I'll let Rob go first while I think about that question. That's a hard question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I think I think one of the things that I've always wondered about Daniel, because I know he moved around a lot. You know, he, he came from Canada. He had the corporate background. So I'm, I'm kind of wondering, early childhood Daniel, like what was your origin story? What do your parents do? You know, what, oh. you know, who were you brought up? You know, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's interesting. Um, yeah, and you know, I'm actually I, I don't know that much about your your upbringing either, Rob. So that's actually a great place for us to start uh, if we're gonna get to know about each other today. <laughs> Not where I thought this was gonna go, but okay. Um, yeah, for the moment, I want to answer your question, and you can answer the same question for yourself. Um, okay. Uh, like like significant moments from your childhood that that formed who you are. Um, and I don't know if I'm I'm gonna share significant moments or just a general feeling. But like, um, I grew up in Toronto, um, I was born there and my family actually like came from abroad. My my parents lived in Kenya and, uh, my, my ancestry is from India actually Portuguese colonies of India. So we were, we were immigrants in, in Toronto for, for our childhood. And, you know, I didn't know what an immigrant was at that time, but, um, our parents were very into academics. So like, um, you know, I, I just, I was just talking with my dad a couple of days ago. We were remembering some times that he used to sit with us late at night and be like teaching us how to do math and like, why is it important to, um, to get good grades and stuff. So he was doing a little bit of coaching and a lot of teaching. Um, and so we, we were very, very, um, uh, strong in academics. Me and my sister were, uh, because my dad spent, spent time with us. And, um, and so, so like, Early, early on, I, I thought it was really important to like focus on studies and I actually really love like math and science and engineering type stuff. And so um, I was always like I was playing chess and I was like I started the chess club in my high school. Um, but the other thing, the, fortunately, I had a couple other outlets that were not so academic because I was like very strong left brained. Um, and uh, I never I didn't really develop my emotional self until later. So like as a child, like. I, I knew that academics were really important. I knew like it was not cool to show emotions as a guy. <laughs> so like, uh, and that's, that's probably societal and cultural and all kinds of things in there. Um, and so I struggled for a long time, like understanding people. And so uh, I, I basically spent a lot of high school developing my intellectual side. And uh, then I went to engineering school, of course, I went to engineering school. Uh, but I would I would say like one of the one of the great things about my my upbringing is that I discovered music as a as an outlet, which is one of the things probably that saved me from being a left brain only person. Um, and so like my you know my parents had got like a piano for me, and I started going to lessons and stuff. And you know my aunt bought me a piano, jazz piano book, so I started learning different kinds of music, and it was really fun to just kind of grow up being being able to develop different aspects of myself whether it was like the academics or the music or even sports i started getting into so i don't know does that answer your question rob or is there anything else that you're you're wondering yeah about? no that was yeah, that was that was really good because i mean like almost everything you shared was something that i didn't already know but it <laughs> explains you know it explains kind of like how you come out because there's always kind of a fun energy like i think we're the two of us are aware of the, the dance of energy between us uh and so it's 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 actually good to 
to kind of know the background and how you became because like I think of you as the the fun creative more playful one you know not necessarily the engineer even though I know from the corporate standpoint that you were an engineer in the corporate world you know so yeah, yeah. makes sense it's interesting. I just, I just think of real, I think I realized in this, in this, in this, in this telling of the story that I was just doing is that one of the reasons that coaching made sense to me is because uh, I was so far left brained and I knew that like to balance myself out, some part of me knew I had to understand the people part. And the music piece was kind of like a little bit of a link for me. It was like, Oh, music got me out of my left brain a bit and like helped me get that awareness that like, this other side of, of my humanity was really important somehow. I wasn't quite sure when I first started thinking about coaching. So that's actually an interesting connection I just made. Awesome. And I love that you're bringing that up because one of the questions that I noted down for myself as I was preparing for this and Daniel going kind of through your story, seeing that you have that tech heavy background, you've been with GM for a long time, there's coaching, there's facilitation, there's real estate. You started a business with your partner, Kate, to sell coffee. And I was just wondering, you know, what's the what's the thing that ties all that together? What's the thing behind it that makes all that fit into one picture, basically? That's a great, great question, Lucas. I can tell you, did your research. <laughs> Somebody told me before this that you do your research. And uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so I think the thing behind it, you know, I've been thinking about this recently. Is that like, what's the unifying thing in my life that um, I'm thinking about these days? Um, has it always been there? Um, I think the, you know, the word comes to me as leadership. And the other word that comes to me is, is expansion, right? And like, I've always felt like it's really important for me to be expansive and to transform continuously and increase both my abilities as well as my understanding and my experiences and my reach and all that stuff. Um, and like to do that, you have to take a leadership and not just in one area of your life, but like your whole life. Like, and leadership, like is the one thing that like binds itself in everything I do, whether it's coaching clients or executives or uh, just what we're, me and Robert building, even, you know, even in the coffee company, it's all about leadership, right? And uh, like everything in life comes down to like taking a higher level of intention uh, towards the outcomes that we want. And that's a big part of what leadership requires. And so to me, leadership is, it's so important. If you look at our, our political scene and our, our, our global conversations, it's like leadership is really, really important. So I think that's, that's the answer for me is like expansion and leadership and they go hand in hand. Rob, do Great you have question. any follow-up or you want to go into your story? I'm excited. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Any uh, any follow-up questions for Daniel? So <laughs> you, can, uh, you know, no, I think I, I think that uh, that that actually explains a lot. Probably the only follow-up question that I would have for you, Daniel, is, you know, what's what's the why behind it? So what's the thing that's driving everything that you're doing? You know, what you're building why you're doing it, why you're showing up the way that you do every day with full energy and support. Yeah. I think it just comes back down to expansion and leadership. Like I want to further a world in which we're better leaders of ourselves and the people around us. Uh, because that's what, like, honestly, that's what makes a huge difference. If you look at like any corporation, a leader in that corporation has a team, has a peer set, has you know, a whole entourage of people that they communicate with, that one person can impact everybody. If they're a really bad leader, they can make everybody's life miserable at home, right? Same thing with a parent, same, same thing with every, like everybody in your life, like they can be leading or they can be not leading. It's like about being intentional and about understanding the impacts of your actions on other people. So I think that's kind of creating a world where we actually are thinking more holistically about 
the people around us and the things around us and the, you know, at, at one level, like I'm thinking about how can I lead within my, within my family maybe, or within my friend group. Um, but then at another level, it's like, how can I lead an even larger circle right now? Rob and I were, we're, we're trying to lead for coaches, but like, as you think about this, like the bigger you expand your, your, your reach and your abilities, the higher level of leadership you're called to and higher responsibility. And so like my, my goal is I want people to, I want bigger, better leaders for this planet. Right. Like if you think about someone like Gandhi, he was leading at a very high level. Right. And that's very inspirational to me. Like being willing to step up for that challenge. I want like I want to be that kind of kind of person. I want other people to become that kind of person. The kind of coaching fits into that. Leadership fits into that. Like it all fits into this idea of having a planet of people who are willing to make a difference. I think that's that's really what it comes down to. That's a great question, Rob. Thanks for asking. I'm, I'm really curious about you, though, like in your story of upbringing and how, how, how it turned you into what you are today. <laughs> yeah. Let me see if I can cover the, the highlights that will explain. And these are things, probably things that you never heard about me either. So, uh, right. so I, I, first of all, I was born in Oklahoma. Uh, <laughs> I lived there for six months. I did months. not know, actually. <laughs> yeah, I, I figured you didn't know that. Uh, that's why I have the strong Oklahoma accent, because I was there for six whole months. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, but um, but I was the first born to a Jewish family, so so you can imagine. Like I, I just remember like what I remember of my childhood was just being surrounded by people and and probably almost too much uh, attention, and also along with that, maybe too many expectations. You know, so I was the Y kid. I was, it, it, and, and the funny thing is, I didn't lose this. You know, like I grew up. Like, how does that work? Why is this happening? How come people do it this way? Just like asking questions constantly. And it was in my 20s that I was like, wow, I wonder if I asked too many questions. Maybe I should tone that down because it's like I never lost that through, <laughs> <laughs> through, my, uh, through my childhood. But it also made me, uh, you know, very curious and very able to connect with people. Uh, it also helped me to do academically. Obviously, there's probably some pressure from my family to do well academically, but I was like like that annoying kid. Like I remember particularly in fourth grade, uh, I was <laughs> probably shouldn't even ever share things like this on the podcast. So I was a little <laughs> bit overweight, right? But I was I was like, so like I would do things like launch, launch pencils with my stomach, you know, in the middle of class, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's ridiculous, awesome ridiculous things and it seemed to me you know like probably to the teacher like I remember I think it was in fourth grade I actually got moved right up against the teacher's desk because I mean it, it appeared on the outside that I was paying zero attention at all and then I'd get 100 on every single test and get straight A's in every single class and got accepted into the gifted program because and, and probably in hindsight it was ADD you know like I've never been diagnosed but you know, likelihood, like it was just the, the class was too slow. So it was like, all right, I'm bored, you know, I'm going to do fine on the test. Let's move on to something else. So kind of grew up with that uh, natural curiosity. Uh, the other thing that was really significant in my childhood that I think shaped who I am is uh, that my parents got separated when I was five years old. And so I felt that separation, obviously, uh, and a lack of safety. And I remember, uh, as I was growing up, that safety was a huge priority for me. Like in my mind, I was doing crazy things. Like I was in science fiction. So um, I would like literally build force fields for myself 
uh, to protect me while I was sleeping, you know, and, and had this elaborate thing to, but, but safety protection, uh, that type of thing. And I kind of thought of myself in some ways, probably as protecting my mom, because I went with my mom after my parents got separated. And so I've always had that very kind of, uh, maternalistic protecting energy, both for myself and I think also growing up, uh, protecting the underdog and sticking up for the underdog and, uh, and just being there for people. So I think that's kind of like early childhood, a little bit of the, the things that maybe you, don't, you, did, you didn't know uh, too much about me. I knew a few of those things, but that was, that was definitely um, some things I didn't know. I really related to like the doing funny stuff with your body and um like and like like not having to work too hard to get a's um i didn't know that about you when you were younger so yeah yeah what really stood out to me rob and what you shared is one you know you were bored in class which is like that group conversation and then on the mm -hmm. other hand that desire for safety for yourself and your family where it's like creating safety safe space to me, this, these are all like puzzle pieces to the person that you've become in facilitation and coaching today. Hmm. Yeah, you're, you. you're basically creating this force field. That's a, that's, a, that's a really great observation, Luke, because like, that totally explains how you try to create the safety space container in facilitation. Hmm. Yeah, thanks. Actually, it's, it's funny because I uh, obviously I knew a story, but I never made that connection until you just made it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's super cool. Yeah, I love that so much that we're also creating insights for you guys. And just as a side note, the last episode with Sean Eskinozi talks about meaningful work just at such a deep level. He talked, and the biggest thing for him to find meaningful work is to unmask your sorrows. That's what he calls it, and that basically our meaningful work is found in our sorrows. Mm. And Mm. Um, you know, that, that kind of really, that principle is illustrated in your story, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. And it is funny too, because actually that leads into like why I even became a coach, which was exactly that. It was literally uh, recovering from, from my sorrows. So kind of catching up a little bit later. So uh, again, precocious kid when I was uh, 15, actually when I was 12, 13, 14, my mom joined a company. And uh, I was bored again, you know, you could imagine, you know, bored kids. So like I just went in and I was hanging out at the company. And when I was 14, they had a store to <clears throat> help the uh, everybody was working. It was a startup, basically. And uh, they needed to work as much as possible. So they started a store where you could just buy all the basic things, you know, food and toilet paper and everything that you needed so you didn't have to constantly run out to the store so I was running that store when I was 14 and then when I was 15 the person who then became the HR again startup so she was doing accounting and other things she eventually became the HR director came up to me and she said hey Rob do you want a job and I'm like sure and I start walking away and she's like oh do you want to know what you're going to be doing oh okay so I turn back around <laughs> and I come up it's like well you're we're going to start a warehouse and uh you're going to be helping to ship the things after school you know in the warehouse and I'm like oh that sounds cool and I start walking away again and then she goes you want to know what you get paid I'm like whoa I get paid <laughs> so so that was my I love job. that Rob yeah. <laughs> oh my god such a good story <laughs> 
So, and that was a job that, you know, so I started when I was 15 officially, you know, in terms of getting paid, you know, you couldn't really officially be working before that. And uh, that career lasted for uh, 29 years, almost 30 years. And we built the company from that startup, which had like just 20 of us, the point that I joined and maybe $100,000 in revenue. And it grew from there to a thousand employees, $200 million in revenue, uh, warehouses all around the country uh, very, very quickly uh, through doing a lot of the things funny that I, I started doing, which was the principles of it were to create uh, consensus in everything that we did. Like we, like we knew that we didn't know what we were doing. So we just got together and decided and we kept pivoting constantly. Uh, and it was all centered around a bigger aspirational mission. So the mission of the company was uh, kind of inspired by a management consultant who had the idea that business could be a force for good in the world. And everyone in the 80s, you know, 70s and 80s, when we started that, well, he was trying to get this idea in the 50s, 60s and into the 70s. And everyone was like, look, that is a great idea. I love your aspiration, but business is to make money. So what you're trying to do is never going to work. Like, forget that. So we're like, oh, we'll try it. And just one guy knew something about the automotive market. So we decided to be in the automotive industry. But even though officially on paper, it was an automotive parts company, really what we were trying to do is be an example for other businesses. So that was kind of the aspirational mission that we had connected. And then along with the aspirational mission, we had a way of organizing so that everybody's voice was heard, everyone felt safe speaking up. So you could see, you know, like the origin stories of a lot of what I'm doing. And then going back to what you were saying, Lucas, of being born from sorrows, after 29 years, we got to the point where we were going through that parabolic growth. We were growing $20 million every year. And we asked ourselves a question that was almost the right question, but it was just enough off to send us in that, that horrible trajectory. You know, you think about like when they're launching rockets or when you're flying an airplane, if you just make a slight miscalculation, things are gonna go wildly off. And what we did was we said, this is awesome. We've gotten from zero to $200 million. How do we get to half a million dollars? That was the question we asked ourselves. In hindsight, the question that we should have asked ourselves is, what is it that we've been doing right that has gotten us to $200 million that we need to continue to continue growth and continue our impact in the world? So as soon as we became focused on results, we said, well, we don't know what we're doing to get to half a million. We've never done that before. Let's invite a bunch of consultants in. The consultants came in and said, this thing that you guys are doing where you're getting consensus from people, where you're getting everybody's ideas, where everybody's voice is heard, you don't have time for that. You're too big a company Whoa. to do that. Management needs to come up with a five-year plan. You need to go on a retreat or lock the corner office come up with a plan and tell everybody this is the marching orders for the next couple of years. Well, you can imagine what happened with, with that, you know, particularly what we know now about business, like that was a complete train wreck. And the company literally never grew from that point onward, but the culture shifted because of that, that wrong uh, shift in focus and mindset. 
And eventually, after a couple of years, the people who had the original idea, like, hey, guys, something's wrong. We can't be doing it this way and wanted to go back to the way we were running the business before, started speaking up. And there was too much momentum in the wrong direction. And one of the key people aligned himself with these consultants and basically pushed everybody who had founded the business out. And so that was going back to your story of the, the, you know, the deep sorrow that needs to be corrected, that that was a period for me that I just, you know, like I was devastated, you know, 29 years of my life working for a company that didn't feel like a job. I was just going into work, hanging out with my friends, doing something that I loved on a mission that mattered to me. And suddenly that was all pulled away. And I went into a period of depression for about two years. And by the way, this wasn't a great time to be looking for work because it was the 2008, 2009 time period where in the US, you know, that was a recession. And uh, as I was coming out of it, I remember one very distinct uh, day where I was standing in the doorway of my bedroom and I was looking over at my bed. And as I was looking at the bed, it's like, what I really, really want to do right now is to crawl into the middle of that bed in a ball and not come out. And then I remember turning toward the doorway of my living room and looking out saying, or I could walk out the door and start doing something, get back into the world, re-engage with my life. And it was hard at that point, but I made the decision to walk out the living room door and to re-engage with life. So I started a meetup group to help people in job search because I didn't think I'd, I had no idea how to do job search. And I, a lot of other people were in a deep uh, period of difficulty during that time. And as I was doing that, the helping other people who I realized, you know, like I wasn't really worried about ever being homeless or starving or anything really bad happening. But these are people who were losing their homes, who couldn't feed their families anymore. I mean, they were in pretty desperate situations. And I found that helping them was healing to me. And that was basically the time period in which I found Brendan Burchard and started getting into personal development and kind of pivoted myself to realizing that maybe my calling, my healing was to become a coach to help heal some of the wounds that I had and that helping other people was actually healing to me. Wow. That is such a powerful story, Rob. Thank you so much for sharing. I feel like also the, the business lessons that you took away from that to stay true to your core and the, the question that you asked of not like, how do we get to this one milestone, but how do we just make what we're already doing well better? Such a huge distinction. Daniel, do you have, do you have any follow-ups for Rob on this? Yeah, one? well, some of that I knew and some of that I didn't know. Um, and I, I just really felt the deep emotion of, of the moment at the doorway and um, how you reinvented yourself. So I think you just need to, you know, I, I would like to just give you some credit for for reinventing because that's pretty tough when especially when you're in the depths of a depression so um you know and thank god you did because look at all the people you're helping today right and so like that's just such a such a, a powerful story of of like the phoenix you know rising from the ashes as they say and sometimes our identity is like so wrapped up in the thing that we're doing um and we forget about who we truly are and that's where the like unmasking your stories can really get get you back to like what matters to you and i think what matters to rob and i've seen this over and over again is 
helping people and building relationships. And um, that's just a great example of how you went back to your core of who you are. So, yeah, yeah amazing. Rob, this is me as a friend and as a peer, just a question that I wanted to ask based on, because I had never heard you share that story before, honestly, about just that business and all of that. Is that a story you've been sharing a lot and what you're doing? Because I feel like there's so much gold in there. Yeah, probably not enough. I mean, if you didn't hear it, if Daniel didn't hear it, obviously <laughs> not, not in any uh, really significant ways. Yeah. Yeah. This is a powerful formation story for you, Rob. And uh, I don't think you share it that much. Like it's very rare yeah. for, for it to come out. Yeah. Cause I think for, for surprisingly 10 years, even after that, you know, I, I cast myself as the victim in the story and it's like, Oh, I don't want to be like, you know, the sad pitiable victim uh, person in it. Uh, but Actually, through another coach, I released it, you know, which was a huge lesson. I released the internal emotion because I think what, what you were saying, Lucas, about uh, the one of your other guests that was talking about the our origin stories being born from our sorrows. Those are very powerful forces to drive us. But we also need to make. Uh oh. We lost Rob at a very crucial moment. Oh, no. Oh. But we also need to, you were going to say, but we also, in addition to SOARS, but we also, that's where we lost you. Ah, okay. Can, can you, is it, is it back again? Yes, yep. you're back now. So okay. pick cool. up where you left off at the sorrows. Like, yeah, so we can draw from our, unmasking our sorrows. Well, we can also dot, dot, dot. Yeah. So it, we, we, it, it draws from, uh, so it, it helps us to draw from our sorrows, but we can also release the things like it's so important for us to release the, the things that we were holding on to and to let that power us into what it is that we're really inspiring it, it aspiring to do a little bit differently. So, yeah, I think that that's that's really important. I didn't realize that how important it was to just let go and to forgive ourselves and to forgive the, the, the past because I was holding on to the resentment of the people who I thought had done this to me. And when I told myself the much more empowering story that this is what made me who I am, this is what made it possible for me to do the good in the world that I'm able to do. This is what gives me the empathy and the care for people that I have. Like I would not have been this person without this seeming tragedy in my life. So I actually honor it. I bless it. I'm thankful for it. Uh, it doesn't mean that I necessarily want to repeat it if I, if I have to, but I don't hold the resentment in my heart for the people who I thought did that to me. Yeah. Powerful, Rob. Yeah. Very true. We, we, we always tend to hold on to those identities until they're, there we are really awakened that that's just an identity we're holding on to in some way mm -hmm. yeah and i can just so relate to what you shared rob because it's also the this thinking that i have of like what if the crappy stuff let's say in those years hadn't happened what if i'd still be stuck in that you know average drive drift of life of the unconsciously lived life or without intention because i was wouldn't have been exposed to these moments. And so I 
can exactly relate to what you shared. And this is exactly the same question that I asked myself to also develop more of that compassion for the story, for the pain, basically. I have one personal question for each of you left before we go into that part and before we go into your partnership because there are just a couple of things also about you personally that I'm super curious about and that I think will be super helpful to everybody listening and Daniel I'm going to start with you because also one of the things that came immediately to mind when I just looked at your unique combination that we've already covered of just this tacky heavy left brain side and your creative side of coaching and music and when it comes to those non-tech skills, let's say, because I don't really like that distinction between soft <laughs> skills and other skills, because like, <laughs> what people call soft skills, like they're relevant. I think we've been hearing this in this conversation already. And you guys also know, I also come from the STEM fields. I'm a universe, like studied engineering at university and had like lots and lots of weird looks coming my way when I started telling people about coaching, my coaching certification, when I started talking about the fact that I'm writing a thesis on leadership in STEM fields and <laughs> just talk about this passion in general. And when I was then thinking about facilitation and I already knew those voices coming up where it's like, oh yeah, you know, Daniel, facilitation sounds so great. Coaching sounds so good but that will never work for my people. You know, that won't work in my industry. That won't work in our mm -hmm. business. Mm -hmm. And the question that came up for me was, have you ever encountered such resistance when you were in change management or doing facilitation? And how, <laughs> if so, how did you overcome that resistance? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and you know, hearing Rob tell the story, maybe I should tell a little bit of how I got into coaching because it's totally relevant to that question. Um, like definitely the play, the biggest place of resistance was in myself, to be honest. So I was like the poster child for not understanding these, these points. Um, but there's plenty of it around me in the corporate world. Um, after I got my engineering degree, I did some really amazing engineering stuff for like years and years. And then I suddenly got promoted into management, you know, like you're, you're really good at what you do. Let's put you in management. Right. So I was in charge of an entire plants, uh, it infrastructure and operation. Uh, and this is, this is, large plant like an engine plant right and so um like i had no idea what that really meant um and unfortunately i didn't get a lot of guidance or leadership or training uh from the corporation or my you know my organization and so i was like i was just i just thought i was still into like i had a paradigm shift right like but i did but i wasn't aware that i needed to shift my paradigm from from what i was doing to what i was doing now or like at the time and so I got I got really excited because one of the one of the big things is I didn't know that um, I was all about me <laughs> at that beginning of this journey in management, and I was like, oh yeah, you know what? I you know I, I I'm now a manager. I'm a big big honcho. I'm like I remember the first week, like I went to the to the to one of the executives there, and I was like, oh, I was wondering when do I get my parking spot? That was my first question to him, and like what a freaking stupid question to ask. Like, why would you do that? It's just because I had no awareness of what was what I was doing here, and I really had like I had no clue. I literally was like in way over my head, and that that's also what happened in my engineering career. I got into things way over my head, and I figured it out somehow, and make good things out of it. But this one was different when it comes to like leadership and, and management, like that's like, it's really hard to just figure it out um, <clears throat> because it's totally different. And again, like my left brain side was really strong. I was really good at problem solving and tech stuff, but that's not what my job was for. Like, I definitely need to understand those things, but 
Yeah, I know I had a team that was basically didn't know what to do with them. They were kind of doing their thing. And I was like over here doing something else. Uh, it was pretty like when I look back, it's pretty embarrassing, like um, in such a position of, of importance that what I was doing. And I, I flailed around in this position for, I want to say, two to two and a half years, quite a long time. And mercifully, I didn't get fired. Like I should have been fired like the first six months, 100 percent definitely should have gotten fired. Like it was train wreck of disaster i didn't realize this at the time i thought i was doing a great job because i was working like 20 hour days and i was just doing so much stuff checking a lot of email replying to people you know like <laughs> it was it was pretty ridiculous so but what changed for me was so one day um i i got called into that same executive's office okay and uh his name was ed and ed was like I would call him a true leader. I didn't like him initially because I felt he was really blunt and direct with people. And I thought it was kind of rude. Uh, I was like, I was much more polite. Uh, but so he brought me into his office. He slammed the door and he's like, um, Daniel, have a seat. And I'm like, okay. Um, I'm like, what's up? And he's like, Daniel, you are failing. <laughs> and I was like, what? I'm like, no, no, no. I'm like, you know, I'm, and I'm working pretty hard. Like I'm, I'm, I'm doing this and that. And then like, and you have to repeat himself. Like Daniel, you are failing like multiple times before he actually got my attention. Cause I was not, I also had super ADD. Right. And so um, I, he, he, just to get me to focus was a challenge. So like, I remember this very clearly. And um, he's like, Daniel, you're failing. And I'm like, oh, what do you mean? And finally he was able to explain it to me like the fourth or fifth time. Um, and so he said, you're failing your team. You're failing us as a, as a plant, as a, manuf as a large manufacturing plant, you're filling your, your plant, you're filling your organization. Um, and I'm like, I don't understand what you're saying, <laughs> you know? So he proceeded to sort of try to explain to me like what was happening. Uh, I was just was not computing. And so the thing, the moment that changed it for me was he says, you know what I'm going to do? I called you in here because you seem to need help and you're not getting it from your, you know, IT organization. So um, I'm going to mentor you. And and I'm like, okay, what is that? Like, I, I had no, I never knew what that meant. And he's like, do, do you know how much time that's going to take? That, like, that, that, how much work that's going to be? I'm like, I don't know, a little bit. He's like, no, it's going to take a lot of work. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. Uh, and I didn't want it, right? Because I, I thought he was abrasive and not like the kind of person that I liked. Um, but that was my, my initial like rush to judgment on somebody who I didn't understand what they were doing and why they were doing it. And so like, I left that meeting, like kind of like reeling honestly and like kind of mad and upset um but that day I, I i made a decision i said you know what if this is true if this is like this is the first feedback real feedback i've, I've ever gotten it in two and a half years of this company nobody has ever tried to help me yet uh, in that way which is shocking shocking for a fortune like 10 company right i used to work at gm uh, and it's not that way anymore i'm sure but um uh, so but back then this is how it was and so I decided in that day to like make him proud and make myself proud and say like, I want this to be different uh, in the future. Uh, so like, I'm, I'm just going to do what he tells me to do and like try to try to live up to some standard of his um, because I didn't have any better reference points. So he would meet with me and we, he would sort of like realign me and set me straight and tell me to do things that I didn't like think were important at all. Like go talk to that person about this thing. It's, you know, you know, I'm like, Oh, talking to people, that's the thing you have to do. Okay. Got it. Um, and so, like, I spent, like, I don't know, six years working on my leadership and, like, learning about business and learning about coaching and learning about, and I started going to business school. And, like, we developed a really, really powerful partnership. Um, uh, he was the engineering manager and I was the IT head. And so um, 
yeah. So I learned from him so, so, so much. And I saw other leaders around me starting to see leadership around. And then I realized like I had to deal with my team. Like I have to like build a relationship with my team and I got to create like processes that work for all of us. And like, and this is where like facilitation comes in because we have to learn how to become a high performance team and how do you run a meeting for a team? That's not that simple a thing. People think, Oh, you just go and you run a meeting. Well, are you prepared for that meeting? Do you want to get voices from everybody? Do you want the team to feel empowered? That was a long journey to go from like, everybody had siloed tasks. And I spent six months trying to follow the ed plan of like, let's get together as a team every single day and talk about what's on the dashboard. And like, they were like, oh my gosh, this is insane. We're spending two hours a day, like just figuring out what we're doing. Uh, I'm like, this is, what, this is what we need to do. Like, I had to like have some courage here to like trust that this was going to work. And it did eventually work. Eventually, we're like, this is way better than the old way. But it took about a year. <laughs> you know, it took a year for people to be on board with it. Um, and then we started getting really, really good. And so from there, like the leadership thing, I started realizing like I love this concept of being a better leader because I'm empowering people around me and started affecting like things I did in my personal life. I started conducting orchestras um, uh, for music. And it's the same thing. Like you're, you're working with a team. You got to have a team that's engaged. Like, how do you engage the people around you in a group? And that's really what we're talking about, group conversations. It's like leadership is about all the group conversations that you're constantly, constantly having. And so that, like, around that time period where Ed had that conversation with me, with me I'm like, oh, what did he just do to me? I guess that that's mentoring and coaching. I'm like, oh, coaching is a thing. So I'm like, okay, let me go find out more about coaching. And at that moment, Brendan had this coaching, high, high performance coaching when I started researching. I'm like, oh, that that is like, that sounds perfect. I love high performance. Uh, I didn't even know what it was. Um, and let me let me go coach with Brendan because I had just recently got into personal development. So it was all around the same time. And so like that, that sort of dramatically changed my trajectory. And by the time I left GM, like I, I left probably at the, at the height of my height of my productivity and effectiveness as, as a leader. And I was really, really proud of who I had become and what I was accomplishing in the company at that point. Um, I left, but by the time I left, I felt like I had literally earned my way to that, to, to being the leader that I should have been when they hired me. <laughs> um, and like, I, I'm really, really proud of what I, what I was able to accomplish with my team and with all, not, not just in this plant, but along with other plants by then um, to accomplish together. And like, that's one of the reasons that like, coaching and leadership is so important to me because I realized that one conversation made me move in a totally different direction. That, that course correction was like a huge, huge change in destination. Um, and then, so when I left my job, I started becoming coach and then it was like, Oh wait, this is entrepreneurship. And I was back into a world where I had no idea what the heck that meant. Um, and so it took me a year or two to really understand anything about it. Um, and stupidly, I didn't get a coach right away, <laughs> but, um, I should have. And, um, and then from there on, like, you know, coaching be became sort of my, my, my career and then facilitation. I had done facilitation for many years without realizing it. So like um, at GM, I was doing facilitation, but over the course, towards the, uh, the, the end of my time at GM, I was actually partnering with HR and training the executives in like large 40, 40 executive groups uh, where we did culture change because GM had a culture problem probably evidenced by the fact that I hadn't been trained as a leader in any way, shape, form whatsoever. Uh, so I would go into these, these day-long trainings and we'd like run them through exercises and, and, and like we have get voices from the people. And it was a good training, but there was just the one training and there was no long-term follow-up with the executive. So I would, I would connect with them after and be like, hey, what'd you take away from the training? Are you going to do those things we talked about? And I would not get a lot of feedback. So I knew that there's something more than just 
a one-time thing. Like coaching is, you just don't do one coaching session. You need to like build habits and you need to create change in your organization. And so like, how do you do that? And that's what became sort of my mantra as a coach is like, how are we building habits? Are we taking actions? Are we building habits? And that's a little bit of the left brain part of me. And then creating that space uh, for people to be able to open up about that. It's kind of the right brain part of me. And that naturally led into like all these facilitative experiences in corporate as well as in music because I had to do a a really awesome like show for 100 people with my own original music. And so like that's a facilitation. If you think about it, that's a group conversation, taking people through a concert. How do you design that arc? And so I realized like it's not just about the music and the performance. Like my voice at the time was terrible, probably still is terrible, but like people had a good time because of the stories I told and about how I engaged them and how like I designed the group conversation experience. Right. And so like all these little experiences um, kind of built up um, around coaching and facilitation, these themes kept on coming out. And so that's now I'm like really focused in coaching and facilitation um, across the board. So I, I mean, I probably rambled on for a little too long there, but I, I hope that kind of answers a little bit of the question that, which I don't remember what the original question was, but <laughs> <laughs> The original question was about encountering basically resistance to skills like that. And that is something that also piqued my interest, which you shared, was when you got into those meetings for the first time and you started facilitating, you were like, oh my gosh, we're doing this for two hours. Nothing seems to be happening. Everybody's kind of weird. <laughs> They're feeling weird. What is happening here? And what really piqued my curiosity was, what was it that helped you still keep them in the process when things felt a little shaky because I know that also when people are listening right now and they realize like wow I could definitely rise raise up my game when it comes to facilitation in my family even or in my mm -hmm. business in my team and probably there's going to be when we all start out with something new it's always going to be weird at first but this time there are also other people with with us there so I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on how you kept people basically engaged and enrolled when everybody was still feeling a little bit out of rhythm and not really yeah well one one of the reasons was that like i was technically the boss but i didn't want to use that as the reason for people to listen to me um and the unique nature of my role meant that i had to develop like non-authority based skills not non-title based authority skills um, across a wide range of people, but with my team, technically I had authority, but I didn't want that to be the reason. Like, I don't want to use the stick to make people follow me. Um, and so like the first part of it, honestly, is like a long history of trustworthy interactions. Like it, when you come to the point where you need people to like take action and to do something different that they don't want to do, you're going to bank on your relationship with them and the history you have of being good to them. <laughs> and being trustworthy and being um, considerate and respectful and all that. And so like, I think by that point, like not only had I built up some of that, um, but um, so I had, I had, I had built up some good interactions. Um, I had sort of explained why I thought this was the right way to go. And I also allowed them to shape it. So that, that was the most important factor. It was like, we're going to do this thing that this is sort of how we do it, but like, we don't have to do it this way. You guys tell me what's better because you're idea. Like I always said, you're all smarter than me. You're all like together. We're going to create a way better thing than whatever I just came up with in my, in my head. Um, and I learned that like so many times and I just like, Hey, I'm glad I asked you that. I'm glad you shared that. And so like just involving them in the process. Cause if you're telling them to do something um, and this is true about all group conversations, if you just tell them to do something, there's, you're going to create resistance. And if you're creating resistance, you're already doing something, something that's not helpful. Um, so 
the art of group facilitation and group conversation is eliminating all the resistance you can, right? And noticing it and getting rid of it. And one great way to get rid of it, as we talked earlier, was having people share all their voices, make sure everybody feels like they could be heard. Their opinion matters. And so whenever they share something, I would try my best to try and incorporate it as best as we could. And I would even say like, hey, you guys take that, figure it out, and we'll do it. Whatever you guys decide to do with that, we'll do that. And then we would do it, and it maybe it wouldn't work as well, but then everybody would improve it. And so every day we we're just like working together to include everybody's voices and improve it all. And that was kind of my first like experience of really transforming a culture and a paradigm for for a group. And I learned like voices matter, um, and like never do anything alone, and um, don't tell people what to do. Have them help you figure out what to do better. Um, but also know what you know what you where you're trying to go. Like like I knew I wanted to implement this this system for our team. And I knew that we could not go on the way we we're going on. So I knew what I wanted to get to, but I didn't have to get there a certain way. Like I wanted people enrolled. That's the word enrollment, right? Hmm. Um, enroll at a fundamental level. And then a year later, like they were just run taking and running with things. And I had to do less and less like managing of that, that process because they were excited about what they were able to together accomplish. Hmm. And so by the end of a group conversation, everybody should feel like that was worth spending their time and that was the, like, I encountered a lot of resistance from people in meetings about like, why are we doing all these meetings? It's like classic corporate stuff. Um, and so like, like I, I won't say that I, that I totally mastered the art of meetings, but um, I would like to make sure that my meetings are always worth whatever minutes I'm put, making you put into this meeting is worth you being there. And I would try to think about each person in the meeting and why, how am I gonna make sure that their time was well spent? And that takes a lot more time and effort. And I'm probably romanticizing it and saying, thinking I was better than I actually was at it, but. Um, there, there's definitely going to be resistance to what you're doing. Uh, people, even in a, in a, in a group call virtually in coaching, people are going to come on and be like, okay, why am I here? Whatever. And that's why we do like things like grounding and GPS. So to like, oh, like let, p- help people let go of resistance and other things and distractions, get a positive frame so that they can like feel like good. And if you make somebody feel good and you listen to them, all of a sudden they'll pay attention. So it's, I guess, I guess the fundamental thing is like just earn your right to lead the group by demonstrating who you are willing to be with them to make them feel like that they're allowing you to lead them is a good thing. Boom. It's all about the relationship like you shared. And Rob, this is where I want to turn to you because we've been on so many great calls and I got to talk or listen to you and your thinking patterns just also in our community calls. And there was one phrase that just stuck with me forever where I'm like, how the heck does he do that? Because <laughs> one of the phrases he had said, Rob, was, I've got around 7,000 people waiting to hear from me right now. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and one of the biggest lessons that I've learned on this master's journey myself is that everything, and we've heard it in this conversation already, it's something that our mutual friend and also mentor Charlie Caldwell teaches us all. Relationships are the foundation to great businesses. And when I heard that, I was just wondering, or first of all, I want to say, and I think people are also seeing this, that Rob, you both of you, but Rob, you also are one of the most kind-hearted people that I know in the world. So that definitely is a part of that. But when I heard that phrase, I was just, I just became so curious for also having a conversation here to just ask you, how do you approach relationships, networking in general to come up with a phrase that says, I have 7,000 people waiting to hear from me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, there's, there's a lot to unpack. That's a great question. So, 
Uh, one of the first things that came to mind when you were asking the question is relationships are not a tactic. You know, they're a way of life. And there's a couple of beliefs that I think helped me to build the really strong relationships uh, with people. And the, the one the one thing, and the reason that I said it's not a tactic, because I'm going to state one of the first things that comes to my mind when I'm interacting with people, and it's not a tactic, but it's it's just the 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 way I choose to show up. So full presence with the person. And the thought that's running through my mind when I'm engaging with people is, what does this person need right now? What does they need to hear? What do they need? What do they really want? And so I'm actually focusing on them and their concerns, what they want. Uh, and then I'm thinking, can I support them? Can I help them with this in some way? Because uh, I think so many times people in creating relationships, like they want to collect, you know, and I'll just say like at a networking event. So one of the ways that I got the 7,000 people is I went to a ton of events on personal development, going back from my story. And uh, then as I left the corporate world and started moving into the coaching world, I went to event after event nonstop for about 18 months. But it's so easy when you're going to events to get into the mode of, I just want to collect as many business cards. I want to collect as many Facebook connections or LinkedIn connections or any type of connection or email addresses so that I can start selling something to them or offering something to them. And that wasn't really my intention. My, my intention was to make a few deeply connected, authentic relationships with people and to really care about them. And so typically what happens when, when I'm, with somebody, you know, and it's, it's kind of my happy place, but I will tend to like to be there to, to not be looking over their shoulder at who else might be more influential or more cool or more fun or whatever. Uh, but just to be with the person and then to constantly have that question, what does this person need? And then to connect them with resources. So typically I just come up with, and very often when you're at the beginning of a journey as anything, an entrepreneur, a coach, a business person, you may not be the solution for most of the people you come in contact with. In fact, you probably won't be. That's probably true in your life for the duration of your life, no matter how accomplished you are, right? Like very few people are the solution for everyone. So it was very intentional about making connections between people. Oh, you might want to know this person, you know, let me introduce you. And I've actually remember at events walking one person to another person to connect them with somebody who was just exactly the right fit for them. Uh, but it's, it's not a, it's, it's not a tactic. It's actually just kind of a way of being and a way of showing up where you're just constantly interested in people. And I think even going back to what Daniel was telling in his story, as soon as the team, if you're leading a team, if you're connected with people, as soon as they know in their hearts that you have their best interest in mind, then there's trust, there's loyalty, there's a real deep, authentic connection. And if for any reason you break that trust where they think no matter what you do, no matter how nice you are, no matter how much you smile or how funny you are or anything else, that somehow you don't have their best interest at heart, trust is broken. You know, so I think that's been something that that I've always just kind of naturally done. and It has been really important to me. 
thank you, Rob, such a gold mine just for creating great relationships in general. And speaking of great relationships, I think many people are seeing also the great relationship that you guys have and that brought you also to becoming business partners. And just as we get into that part of the conversation, could you guys just give people who are maybe new to your story and to what you're doing a little bit of an overview of your joint venture that you're doing together? Well, maybe I should just share that like what Rob is talking about, about how he networks, I fell into that net uh, thank, thankfully, uh, of, you know, meeting Rob in 2013 or 2014. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, he was just, that was who he was. And so he was one of the people that I would remember from year to year going to certifications and meeting up and we stayed in touch, um, in different ways and, um, more, more to, to Rob's story. It's like, Rob is just really good at caring and building relationships. And I was not nearly as good. I would have been at the beginning of when we met, I would have still been in that phase where I was like, oh, like how many business cards can I collect? Because that means I'm networking. And like, uh, like and then I would like try to meet people I'm like, oh, I should be your coach. When I knew like I would, shouldn't be the coach, right? That, like that's was kind of like the, the like, like trying, like the little scarcity mindset. And Rob, Rob has not had that scarcity mindset. Um, and I just, you know, it was, it was a really good example to, to, to be around and to listen to. I think it's probably influenced me quite a bit in, in terms of how I think about um, you know, um, building relationships. Uh, but that's how we first met is like at the certification event where Rob was doing his, you know, building relationships thing. And I was doing my version of like, Hey, let me get your business card. But like, I also really liked Rob. And so we just, we pretty much hit it off. So that was, he built, he, he, in spite of me, he was able to help me build a, a genuine relationship. And I'm pretty sure I was looking over your shoulder at the next person during that time. Rob. <laughs> 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 and I apologize. Yeah. I'm sure there were people funnier, prettier, more accomplished uh, during that. <laughs> definitely prettier. Definitely prettier. Definitely prettier. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's how we originally met, right? Um, yeah. And, and so the rest of the question is like, how how do we how do we form this partnership? Maybe maybe Rob, you you take that one. Yeah, well, I think the, the, just one data point in, in that. So we're, we're both uh, certified high performance coaches. And one of the things that I started doing, and I don't, this, this wasn't a tactic. This was just a way that I, I just loved it. So my happy place, if you want to say what's Rob's happy place, is sitting around a fireplace, fire pit, having a great conversation with a lot of other people who are trying to do something good in the world. And uh, so anyway, I just like, how can I create those situations? So one of the most significant times that I remember we were at this, I rented a mansion. I was calling it the coach's mansion. Oh, yeah. uh, we were at certification week in San Diego. And <laughs> this was a funny, I won't go into all the funny Airbnb stories, but I mean, it was like, I don't know if it was like a seven bedroom or eight bedroom. Anyway, we had 10 coaches staying there uh, at this. And uh, Daniel was one of the coaches. So I think that's, we had some bonding time together, rides back and forth. Actually, and no, Rob, I wasn't staying there. I was staying oh. at Airbnb nearby. I had to take a taxi to get there, but I wanted to be in the house that you created. So I spent oh. a lot of time there. And I don't okay. remember, but we like cooked this like giant vegetable tray. They had like a giant oven there. So I brought yeah. a bunch of vegetables and we like roasted all the vegetables in the oven. Like <laughs> you remember that I was a member of that house, even though I wasn't because I spent so much time there because I yeah. was just so grateful that you created that thing. And uh, I just want to be around it. So like, that's where like, <laughs> that's where I would go after certification. I was just, you know, hang out with the house people. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. think I was actually in that house. I'm pretty sure I took a taxi there. So 
Really? Okay. Wow. Yeah, I remembered you being there because you know because you were there a lot. For a or maybe I days. was, and I had to think of a different year. But yeah, um. yeah. And I remember we were celebrating my birthday. You know, it was one of the funny things because I remember seeing a picture of like everybody with the little birthday cake because somebody bought me a birthday cake because that just happened to be Cert Week was right in the middle of my birthday. So we had a little birthday party, which was cool. But I think that's one of the the, the secrets is is help to create magical moments for people. It's probably one of the ways. And it's in the in the spaces, in the, the chances to be real with people. Uh, it's not the formal networking. It's not while you're at the event. It's the lunches. It's the breaks. It's the walks to and from the car. It's the car rides. You know, it's just the moments of life that you have with people that really make the relationship. And uh, so to answer your question, how Daniel and I got together, we just had enough of those moments you know, yes. I remember the house. I remember, and it might have been the same weekend. We went out. We just walked from the the event hotel to a taco place, and we all sat around. And I think that might be, if I remember, the first time I met Kate. You know, and realized how cool she was. Uh, <laughs> and you know, but it was just in those little those little moments where a certain level of connection, uh, realness, humanness, authenticity is built up that you start making connection. And then you just remember, it's like, oh, I like that person. And it's important for me to keep in touch. Uh, so, yeah, that's that, so Daniel and I, it, it, I could I could start telling the story of how we got together. Um, I would just I would just add, you know, well, Rob, you, you described that really well. We just had enough good moments together. And that's another really good point about networking is yeah. always bringing who you are at your best out. And like, you know, if you've had a bad day, like, you know, that, that's not going to be like the energy you want to bring. Like, it's just like set an intention about who you want to bring to your events and like i think rob and i like not that i was very intentional about this but just raw like i knew rob was the person who i liked being around and he was like creating opportunities and so i really liked him and one of the things that i was doing too you know i do remember a little bit i was creating din like dinner opportunities for many coaches to get together after the event i was one of the people who would say like oh now like, what are you guys doing for dinner nothing oh well i'm gonna make a reservation for for 10 people and like who wants to come and like, you know, like hang out for dinner and Rob would often be one of those people. And so we just, we spent enough time together building those bonds of, of both trust as well as like, um, you know, uh, like life, life experiences together. And uh, even though we would only see each other maybe once a year um, that would build upon itself. And then we would stay in touch more afterwards um, over time. Right. So I, I like, I like, you know, I like the idea of bringing your best to, everything you do and everybody you meet and being really present as Rob is like a master of being really present with people and then creating lots of opportunities for those moments to occur. That's a strategy that worked for both of us. And I think that's what led us to say, hey, like we should collaborate at some point, you know? So, yeah. So, and then the collaboration, so then the collaboration. So we, then the question is like, Oh yeah, we should work together. We, we knew that, but we didn't know what we exactly wanted to do. We both have very similar shared interests around leadership around, uh, you know, um, conscious capitalism, around business, around entrepreneurship, around coaching, around group conversations and facilitation. So we have a lot in common, but we have also kind of different backgrounds, as you heard today, you know, and different skill sets. And so there's like a really good synergy here that it could be possible. So, so we decided to create like a mastermind. Um, and then that mastermind was, you know, we originally started to, we want to create in the real estate field because like we both have real estate experience and interested and Rob, Rob has, um, has knew a lot of folks in the real estate 
area that we could, you know, we could leverage this network. Um, and so we originally started trying to build this real estate mastermind. I think we spent like six months working on like, what did we want it to look like? And, you know, what kinds of things would we do? What's the culture going to be? We would, we had these spreadsheets of all the stuff that we were putting down. Um, know, Rob, did we spend six months on that? Yeah, I think so. Probably about four months maybe more. or so. Yeah. Maybe less. Yeah. Maybe more. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I feel like it was like six months plus. Like, I feel like we were just like trying to make it work, but it, something was missing in that process that w- we didn't launch it. Um, I apologize for that. My phone was on doom disturb and yet it rang. <laughs> um, yeah. So I feel like we were, um, we were launching, but we never actually launched for a very long time. Like it felt like half a year. I don't know. Maybe your impression is less. Yeah. Yeah. It took a little while. Yeah. Even just backing up a little bit from the story, what, what, what had happened was, uh, so, so Daniel, and I just kept in touch with each other kind of on a regular basis. And mm. uh, so it, it was, it was an interesting time in or March of 2020. That was kind of when we had the first conversation to kick things off. And for, for anyone who's living on the planet Earth, uh, <laughs> you probably remember March 2020 was the, uh, the time in which uh, the, the COVID crisis started shutting things down a little bit. And I was all excited because I had been doing a whole bunch of real estate uh, live events. Like I had just come off of putting a team together right. uh, in, in a real estate market where like the agents and the management hated each other so much that they didn't speak to each other for six months. And by the end of the, the uh, session that I facilitated, they were hugging each other, they were crying, they were healing, you know, and they had a very functional team. And this was just a, a single day event. It was like really powerful. Um, and then I went to another live event that I helped to facilitate with like 150 uh, salespeople and it was really cool. And then the world shut down. And so I, you know, and. And hopefully anybody who's a coach or anyone who's a human knows that no matter where you are in your stage of development, it's very easy to completely lose it when your world changes dramatically. And that's what happened. It's like, I just lost it. I was living alone. You know, I am super extroverted. I was the guy that somehow, even as a single guy, gave somebody a hug or got a hug every single day for five years straight. And now suddenly I can't touch people. I can't go out. I'm like, so I remember I, I called Daniel. I was just going for a walk by the beach and uh, I called Daniel and we we both said the one phrase he said, you know, I can build this business on my own, but I don't want to. I don't like it. And Daniel's like, oh, that's the way I feel, too. And so we just said, well, oh, yeah, I remember that. that. <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, then let's do something. And then that led to, you know, Daniel had real estate experience. I had real estate ex- experience. So we decided to uh, to pick. Uh, real estate, uh, <laughs> which takes <laughs> us up to the point where Daniel was saying, you know, we spent four months doing it until we suddenly realized. It. And I think the phrase that I used, if I remember correctly, was, Daniel, everything's so hard. It feels like we're pushing the boulder uphill. Are we yeah, doing I remember that conversation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally remember that conversation. Like, we put so much work into figuring this out. Uh, and we, like, might be doing the wrong thing. Uh, but I'm glad, I'm glad you said that because, like, I would feel, like, we were both kind of feeling this thing as we were trying to build like something up in this area and we're like we didn't want to make like calls to people to talk about what we're doing as much we're just like there's a resistance uh, and sometimes i think if you if you notice that you're not doing something that you say you want to do 
Um, identifying what the resistance is is important because it might be um, the resistance that like you're not confident, but it might also be the resistance that you're doing a thing that you know you shouldn't be really focusing on at some level. And I think at some level we both kind of knew like we wanted to do work together, we wanted to build something, uh, but like a mastermind probably, but we didn't have the topic quite right or the group, the the target market quite right yet. In real estate, there was that resistance, like something felt like this, there's something wrong with this, like with this last pillar perhaps. And we, it wasn't conscious until Rob made that, that comment. And they're like, oh, okay, so what would it be, right? Um, and then, then what happened, Rob? <laughs> yeah, so then we said, well, well, what is it that we really wanna do? And it's like, we definitely wanted to facilitate uh, groups. It's like, I wonder if we should help. Oh, so actually what happened was, and it was actually by accident, uh, but at the same time that we were working on our mastermind, Somebody had posted in the uh, in the Facebook page for the high performance coaches that they were nice. trying to pivot from one on one to group coaching, and I just you know me being just kind of how I roll, uh, I was like, oh, I, I I know how to do that, uh, so I'd love to help you with it. So I offered to jump on a call with him. So I posted that I'll jump on a call with you in the Facebook page, and forty seven said. Oh, I want to be on that call. I want to be on that call. I want to be on the call. I want to be on the call. So we're like, okay. So I'm going to do a Zoom call and everybody's available to it. Yeah, Thank actually, I, now that you, I had forgotten exactly what the spark was until you mentioned that for a moment there. I was like, what, yeah. what happened? <laughs> but, and then, yeah. so, so then me and Rob were like talking about this phenomenon. We're like, wow, that's some, an area that we both have a lot of experience and expertise in that we're both super excited about that has nothing to do with real estate. Maybe let's try that. <laughs> yeah. the market is already raising its hand. <laughs> yeah. And the market is raising its hand for us specifically uh, or for Rob anyways, Rob's comment. And so like, we're like, wait a minute, we've done all like, and it was actually pretty easy to shift out of the topic of real estate because a lot of the research and, and, and development we had done was not necessarily only about real estate it was about like what we're trying to create the kind of the kind of community that we're trying to build and we had spent time thinking what kind of culture do we want to build and stuff so so yeah that, that was a really great moment and sometimes these moments happen these fortuitous things um and but not just fortuitous rob had has been cultivating his reputation as the person who's really good at this so everybody knows rob and so when he says like yes uh like let me jump in a call and everybody's like oh got to hear from rob on this thing because and like uh, like i think that it's like opportunity meets preparation and that's you know called luck or whatever right so i think you know that's kind of what, what's what started us on the path of of group conversations and facilitation as as the topic of focus for us yeah before we go into the real nitty-gritty of the facilitation i just wanted to follow up on your guys's relationship as business partners and just mm. wanted to ask you about what have you learned in your time working together of what a great partnership between equals in a business is or between co-founders? Have you learned important lessons on your journey there? I'm sure you have. Yeah. 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 Not, not, and not only in this partnership, but also in this partnership. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so obviously there's the element of having fun, complementary strengths. And I, I think I'd almost rather let Daniel talk to that. The one thing that I learned, which is counterintuitive, is have tough conversations early and often uh, if, if you need to. So like if there was ever any 
uh, tension forming. And we've had a couple of things. I mean, nothing, nothing serious. But if any, any tension was just to have the conversation and call it out and the relationship ends up being better for it. But if you sweep those things under the rug, if you have resentment for it, uh, it just grows and it festers and it ends up uh, joint, you know, d- damaging partnerships. And I think part of the thing I was on the lookout for it because when we were early on, I talked to our, our fellow, you know, mentor coach, uh, Charlie Caldwell, and he made the comment that he says of, he's, he's known 25 or 26 partnerships and every single one but one failed. You know, uh, and so like the failure rate is extremely high on partnerships because the communication is poor. So that was a signal to me. It's like, okay, Daniel, let's have, and we had just gotten done creating a group culture that we wanted for the real estate, which was complete transparency, everybody being interested in the, the people, everybody's voice is heard equally. So like we set our own culture and it's like, well, we have to live our own principles. So as things came up, we just had, you know, the, and I think maybe there's been two of them, but like every every difficult conversation we've had always ended up in increasing the level of trust and increasing the closeness in the relationship because we kind of understand where each other's coming from. And I would go farther. I would say if you're ever going to do a business partnership, do it with a good coach because the coaches have the skills to be able to have the tough conversations and to challenge each other in such a way that resentment doesn't build up. And like that's kind of like been like a theme for my life. I'm sure, Rob, it's the same for you. Is like in every relationship I have, if there is resentment brewing, brewing or growing, that is a sign that a conversation needs to happen immediately. And I've learned this in partnerships over the years. And, you know, Rob's story about the company that he talked about, like, that was like a lot of resentment brewing for two years. And by then it was too late. And think about the stakes of that conversation, the conversations, plural, that could have been had to prevent that from happening, right? Um, and so those things need to happen often and early, as Rob said. But I think we are naturally doing that all the time, not just those two big ones. I'm not sure which particular ones he's remembering, but because um, I, I feel like we're just constantly having these little conversations all the time about like feeling each other out where we're at and how we're feeling about something, like always checking in with each other. It's kind of like, you know, I don't, it's kind of like with my with my wife, right? <laughs> like it's like um, like we're always having those. It's the same thing. It's a partnership. It's a marriage. Uh, we're always having those little conversations about resentments not building up. And sometimes I do have resentments that build up and maybe I let them build up too long. And so then we have to have this conversation. Um, and I've learned like the sooner you deal with that stuff, the better if you want to build a long-term relationship. And I've had many partnerships uh, in business that have had challenges, many challenges um, and big ones too. Um, but I think if both partners are genuinely committed to figuring it out together and not trying to like like edge each other out on anything it's just like hey i want what's best for you you want what's best for me if we have those conversations we will eventually get to solution with enough patience and i've had converse i've had partnerships where um in a particular partnership where me and the other person um really had a major problem that like we did not figure out and that we started having those conversations and they were hard but it took us months and months and months and months to finally get to the thing Oh, that's what you were saying. I did not understand this entire time of these dozens of conversations we've had about this one issue, why you were feeling bad about that thing that we, I thought we like said this and you thought we said that, but then this thing happened and we didn't think about how it would impact. And it took us that long to get to the bottom of it. And, and after that happened, I'm like, oh, well, then I'm totally willing to do this. That, that makes complete sense now. And I was like, I was in the wrong if I had understood what the question was. 
right? And so then I had to let go of that, like that whatever I was holding on to, because now I understand and I'm willing to say, oh, well, if that's the case, then yeah, for sure we can do it your way. <laughs> but like, I wasn't willing to, to say that until I understood it and it made sense to me. And so like, at the end of the day, like if you're willing to have a business partnership, know that you must, must engage at this level of like open and honest dialogue because you're basically getting into a marriage. Let's call it what it is, right? And if you and also have those tough conversations, if if you if and sometimes you have multi-person partnerships, not just two. If there's some resentment group brewing among the group, it's your responsibility as a partner in that business to make sure that you root it out and figure it out and solve it. Because if you don't, it will affect your business in the future. As Rob just had this perfect example of that, right? Yeah. No matter what level of business you're at. So like it's so, so important. I think. I like to say that Rob and I have that relationship and we, I, I have the belief and Rob, you probably do too, but you also let you speak for yourself on it. The belief that whatever comes up together, we can figure it out to a satisfactory solution that works for both of us. Mm-hmm. Like I, I have that belief, right? Yeah. So, and that's, that's important in every, in every kind of, like I have that belief about every relationship in my life. Actually, now that I'm thinking about this, that's how I approach relationships. It's like, I believe in that person having that genuine desire to look out for both of us. And I do too. And that's like every partnership, every relationship, that's kind of like modus operandi for, for how I think about it. I don't know, Rob, that, you know, would you say, how would you say it? Yeah, no, I, I think that's very true. You know, that uh, when, when, when you take a giant step back, the relationships where you suddenly don't feel at any point where you feel at their core, the person doesn't have your best interest at heart uh, is a relationship that is going to end. You know, and, and, and it was funny because like Daniel and I, there, there was a, uh, I won't say it, a business partnership. There was a relationship that I had to pull away from because of that, you know, and he was helping to guide uh, me through some of the, the difficulties making that decision because it was, um, you know, it was, it was something I had invested a lot of time and attention into, and yet it was energetically draining me. And it's one of the re- the blessings of having a coach because, you know, for both of us, I think as as any of us hit a roadblock, we could be like, hey, you know, let's, we're, we're, we're trying to accomplish this thing, you know, like we're trying to develop our mastermind, but right now your energy is low. What's really going on, you know, and we can kind of lift each other up. And we've been lucky that almost all the time when one of us is down, the other one's like on point to help lift the, the, the other one up. And then we turn around and return the favor for each other. I don't but, know if it's uh, lucky, yeah. lucky Rob. I think it's just that when we see our partner in that state, we, we summon the energy that's needed to help that partner, right? Like that's how we operate, right? Yeah. So like if, if somebody's struggling with something, it's like we notice it as a coach. We know what to do with it as a coach and we help that person and that person knows that we're going to do that. So like we, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's 50-50, but we spend a significant amount of time on like I would say the, the coaching part of like helping each other figure stuff out both professionally and personally, like maybe 20% of our time goes to that kind of stuff. Um, and then there's also like, sometimes we just get on a call to do some work and it, like, it's one of those weeks we've done three calls that week. And we just like, we spend the entire time socializing. I call my wife in, we're just chatting, you know, and then that, then the whole hour's gone. We're like, ah, we didn't get anything done. That's, that's, that's fine. <laughs> sometimes you need that too. Right. So. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, you know, one of the things I'm really focused on right now is just the element of fun and play in relationships and I don't think you can have long-term business, relationship, whatever, uh, without elements of play and fun in them. 
Yeah. So, that's and that's one of the things I really, yeah, it's one of the things I really appreciate about Daniel because he's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always recycling it though. Like it's like it's never something original. Um, like there's nothing new under the sun, right? Like it's like you heard a piece from someone else, a piece from somewhere else. Um, and like like my humor is just like not. I would say it's not original. Although I will say that I recently invented a new word. Do you want to know what the word is? Let's hear it. Plagiarism. <laughs> I'm not getting as big a laugh out of Luke as I expected, but it's okay. <laughs> That's because I'm German. You know that. Oh, oh okay, okay. Right. I should have learned the word the in German. Oh. The listeners will get it. <laughs> yeah, you know, my, my German brain with newly invented English words, like... <laughs> I need a lot of bed there, apparently. <laughs> Sorry. Plus I'm German. That's like weird combination. <laughs> <sighs> but I want to thank you guys so much for sharing those insights because one thing that I just want to highlight is I actually noted that follow-up question down for myself of how do you guys deal with those important conversations, those important topics that need to be spoken up about. And the fact that you guys just went immediately into that for the most important lessons learned, and it was just an intonation for me, but now that really underlines the fact that really this honest conversation and this immediate, the immediate action on any kind of feeling of resentment or any kind of feeling of there's something wrong, there's something in the bushes, that that may actually be one of the most important things in any kind of relationship, but especially in business relationships. And from the partnerships that I'm involved in, I can definitely say that too in those last few months where just every time having the conversation has always been the better thing. And the sooner it happened, the better it was for everything. So it just demonstrates completely what you guys shared. Yeah, you see, you've seen those, those, those couples who have not spoken to each other in a decade. Yeah. Right? And that's where that leads. <laughs> That's where that leads. So with that, you guys, I would love to jump into your facilitation framework. And that, just to start it out, you know, you got those four, three steps, actually four, which we're going to talk about, but we got those three episodes <laughs> planned. And I would just love to hand it over to you right now because the first big step is design. How do we design a conversation that breeds engagement, joy, great teamwork. And I'm just dying to hear how you actually think about starting to design such an event. Um, maybe be, before we explain the design piece of it, why don't we talk about the steps at a high level to say like what they are, yeah. and then we can get into the, the design step, right? So the That's design right. is the first step. But you know, we, we talk about our, our model is, is like we talk about facilitation as having three Ds, which is the three key skills that as a facilitator, you need to be able to operate at a world-class level, right? Um, and so the first step is design. You gotta be able to design an effective group conversation that engages your group and that has the desired outcome that you're seeking, right? As a facilitator, you need to know what are you trying to create, right? And like, you know, there's, there's several things you need to know about your group and your, your facilitation so that you can design something really good. Don't just show up and be like, hey, everybody, what's up? You know, like that's that's not that's not going to be as great a facilitation unless you've done a lot of that, right? And you have the experience for it. So, um, and even then, even with all the experience we have, we still take a lot of trouble to design really, really well. 
So think about all the things that could go could go wrong that could hurt the experience and all the things that could go right that could enhance the experience and really impact the group in the way that we want. So like even at, at you know, at the world-class level, really good facilitators do take the trouble to design because it's not that easy. When you start getting into it, you think, oh, I got a good design. You go back to it, you're like, you try it. You're like, oh, that was terrible. <laughs> so that happens all the time, even for good facilitators. And so the second one, you know, once you've designed something good, you have to go deliver it, right? The, like delivery of that. And there's a whole art to delivery too. It's not just, oh, I have a script. I execute my script. It's how do you execute the design that you created? And also, if things are going badly in real time or you have, you know, other issues that come up, how do you, as a facilitator, deliver a great experience, whether or not it matched your design <laughs> perfectly, right? Like you design it. And then as Mike Tyson says, I have a great strategy until I get into the ring and you get punched in the face, right? Like maybe that design needs, you know, may need to be adapted in real time. So part of it is the art of being a facilitator, uh, of the art of delivery as a facilitator to execute the design and also adapt in real time to what, you need to change, right? Um, and so that's the, the first two Ds are design, deliver. And the third one, which some people think is not that important, but it's almost as important as both the others combined, which is debrief. After you deliver your facilitation, taking the time to go review that, what you just did and watch it or talk about it or take notes and reflect, reflect on it. And reflection is super important about like what you just did. That's where the real improvement happens, right? You wanna get better fast, debrief your facilitations after they're done and better to debrief it with other people. So design it well, deliver it well and debrief it well. And like the debriefing thing, I have to say like as a musician, any performance I give, I love watching the video after because when I watch that video of me playing that song that I wrote or whatever, I'd be like, oh, that little part there, that was where I could have made it even better and it would have cooked the audience better. Like they missed that beautiful moment because I, I flubbed it on this. And then next time I go perform, I'm never going to forget that little distinction of how to perform, right? And so it's the same with facilitation. It's like performing, uh, but you're leading a whole orchestra of people, right? Like how, how do the French horns not like come in at the right time or like do the thing? It's because like I didn't lead it well. I didn't give better instructions. Okay, so that's how you give that instruction really poorly. Here's how I might do it well next time. Uh, and that's the debrief skill, right? So that's super, super, super important. Um, and that I, I've been debriefing my music for a long time, uh, but I only started debriefing my facilitations in the last, like working with Rob really, to be honest with you. So, um, and um, so those are the three Ds, design, deliver, and debrief. And I, let's leave the fourth one for a little bit later. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you want to add to that, Rob? Yeah, I Sorry, was just going to ask. <laughs> I was just going to ask Rob if there's anything, any basic principles or any further thoughts that you wanted to add to this, Rob. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll just say, and I, I think we probably won't have time to get into the weeds uh, on this one. Uh, one of the things we can do is actually, one of the key principles is we don't necessarily learn from hearing it. We learn from experiencing it and then mm -hmm. reflecting upon our experiences. Uh, so probably the best ways to even teach the framework is to, uh, to, to, to run through an exercise, which maybe we'll have the opportunity to do and actually reflect on, mm -hmm. you know, what it was that, that just happened. Cause there's elements, there's so many elements of mastery, uh, in each one of them. And one of the things that I realized, which was so beautiful, like the combination, uh, for a coach but this is really the, the combination for anyone who's living their life. But being a coach and a facilitator in combination is a superpower. 
And there's a fairly easy transition from a coach to a facilitator uh, because a lot of the core skills are some of the same core skills that you can then translate. But the facilitation skills, so like people are going to be coaches and maybe a few of your listeners are coaches, but the vast majority of people in the world are not coaches. But the facilitation skills works for everybody in every situation. So this is something that's it's worth paying attention to because not only can you use it when you're conducting an online Zoom session, but you can do this with your team. You can do this with your church. You can do this in your school. You can do this with your family around the dinner table, or you could do it one-on-one -on -one with people. And it's, it's the same cycle that you're going to repeat over and over again. And the principles work so magnificently well that you know, when, when I've learned some of the facilitation skills, I'm like, I'm using it all the time and it actually improved my relationships and just the way I work in the world. So. Yeah. Rob, you remind me of a story, you know, me and Kate, you know, we used to do um, gratitudes uh, during mealtime. You said like with the family around the dinner table. So what we did is we took that and we brought it to like a family event and we had dinner with my family or Kate's family. And we'd say, Hey, let's do uh, gratitude before mealtime. Here's how it works. And we facilitated a conversation where everybody had a turn to speak about what they were grateful for and went around the table. And that was actually a facilitated group conversation. And what happened was everybody got to say the thing they're grateful for. And um, it really transformed the conversation. The dinner went very, very differently. And people were more open and were more uh, in gratitude, which really can transform the meal. So, so that's an example of what Rob's saying. It's not just in business, it's like all over the place you can use this. And it's also true about coaching. Coaching is a skill that I don't just use in my business. It's like, that's who I am. It's like asking questions and being curious and helping people make distinctions. It's like, that's like, both of these skills are super useful, but facilitation is, is one of those ones that very, very few people really ever get the chance to, to understand and deploy. And it's so, so powerful and valuable. Yeah, now and just actually to, to make it real uh, for for the for the people who are listening, uh, try this. You know, when you're around the table, like let's just say you're around a, a dinner table or you go out to a meal with a friends and you have seven friends at the dinner table. Normally what happens is whoever's sitting next to the person, person A will talk to person B, and then the people over here will have a conversation with each other. Every once in a while, people have conversations across the table and talk to each other. So you just say, hey, guys. Let's have uh, one conversation and let's just ask a question. So you could you could ask any question. Hey, it's been a month since we got together. What's been the most exciting thing that's happened to you since we got together a month ago? And we'll just go around the room or we'll one person will call upon another person in doing it. And one of the things that uh, that we can add that, that we add in our facilitation. So try this at your next dinner party saying, Okay, so what we're going to do is Daniel's going to start the conversation. He's going to share his thing, and then he's going to call on the next person. And when he calls on the next person, before the person says what their thing is, they're going to say one of the things they appreciate about what Daniel just said. So now what you're doing psychologically is you're, you're, you're forcing everyone to be paying attention because you never know when you're going to get called on. And you actually have to say you have to listen to the person who spoke before you to be able to appreciate them for something. So now everybody's intent. And when you have a conversation like that in any situation, you can do it in a meeting, you can do it like it, you could see this would work anywhere. Uh, people who leave the, the table after that were like, that was the best meal ever. 
you know, like they just have fun. They just enjoyed each other. Like they felt more connected to each other. So that's why I say facilitation works everywhere. And that's just one practical way that people can do it, no matter what they're doing in their, in their yeah. life. Yeah, you know, Rob, I'm going to, I'm going to like, we call that, that's a particular type of uh, activity and we call it pass the ball when, when the person who's speaking passes the ball to the next person. And you can use this in a group where you have enough people that everybody can have time to go and pass the ball with appreciation is the tweak that Rob also just said, which is what did you appreciate about what the last person said? forces everybody to pay attention and also makes the first person ready to go fast. Like people, oh, I want to go first. So I don't have to say what I appreciated. Right. So then you get somebody starting, starting off real fast. So that's a really great way to a small group to have everybody have voices heard, which creates a really um, positive environment for all people to feel equal um, in that group conversation too. So that's a great example, Rob. So let's say we're going to design a facilitation session for our next podcast that we're going to do with the, also more people on the call. How would you guys start designing that? So, so Lucas, are you saying that like we can talk? We can let, right now. Let's design the thing we're going to deliver next podcast episode together. Exactly. That was the plan so that we can yes. then also have actually the debrief conversation and then give people just an entire just demonstration of what's possible through facilitation, how that could look like so that they're also feeling competent and confident to do it on their own. I think we're ready. Let's, let's do it. That sounds yeah. like a really cool way to do it. Like this is a really cool, innovative way to do a podcast too. It's like, we're going to design right now. And then next time we'll invite some people to the podcast and deliver it to them together as we discussed. And then maybe we do a third podcast where we debrief that and talk about how it went. And that's one of the things that real facilitators that real good facilitators do is they're like, they're totally open to like being like, Hey, that went so for super bad. It was terrible. Here's what, here's why, here's what we learned from it so that everybody learns how to facilitate better. Right. And that's something that we, me and Rob do every single time. So we've like gotten, gotten out of like, like being like a little bit worried about like feedback. So, okay, everybody. So we just took a pause as we were thinking through this process of the three D's that Rob and Daniel shared with us of designing a facilitation session, delivering it, and then de debriefing it with yourself, with others. And we just took a pause to really think this through for a moment because we know that you've listened to the stories, you've gotten out the big picture, and we were just thinking about how can we do this best for you and really demonstrating this for you. And first we were thinking about, you know, do we do the design piece in this podcast? And then we were just thinking, you know, maybe it would be best to close it out right here. And that's one of the principles that Daniel and Rob shared with us today. It's people support what they create. It's figuring out together, sometimes on the fly, sometimes you have to plan and then something happens. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just better to go a little bit back and forth, reevaluate. And we thought that it might be most useful for everyone involved to keep this episode as the episode for Daniel and Rob to share their stories, to share their skill set, their expertise, the big picture principles that have helped them just create their skills, build those relationships, and to then go into three individual episodes for the design part, for the delivery, and for the debrief so that you just get with real focus those three pieces. It's not overwhelming, it's focused, 
and we thought that this might be the way to go. So maybe that there's one phrase in the first part of the conversation where you go, oh, wait, I expected something else just to let you know. We're always looking out for you to make sure this is most helpful to you. And that is just what we came up with right here. So Daniel, Rob, I just want to ask, because we talked about that big picture framework, are there any things that you would want to add today just to let people or get people excited for what's coming or to close that loop out for today? Well, I, I'll say that I, I think it's going to be super fun to, in a podcast setting to do some design work and like show people like, well, what does it mean to design? How could you design an awesome experience for the listeners of this podcast? Like if that's what we do for the next podcast episode, that would be, that's like nobody, I don't know if anybody's ever done that um, in real time on a podcast like that. So to design a group experience on a podcast for the listeners of that podcast to listen to on the next episode of that podcast. That, that's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty interesting. Uh, I'm sure people will want to be a part of that or at least listen in. So, and then to like people can, maybe people will for the second one or maybe even the first one will join us for the podcast where we deliver that group experience. Maybe your listeners will want to join us because we're going to have a facilitated experience for anybody who can join us, but like listeners can now interact in the podcast too. So it's, it's, it's probably going to be super different. Like, I don't know if any podcast has ever done anything like that. So, and then we're then the last episode will be, we'll break it down. What went well, what went wrong? What could be improved and debrief that whole thing? What, you know, maybe people come back and join us for that one too. So that there's some cool, unique things that we could do. Yeah. That's going to be really fun. And I don't know if I've ever heard anybody doing something like that before. Exactly. <laughs> That's yeah, cool. it could be fun. And and the only other thing that I would share is, you know, just in the few little pieces that we've already shared, uh, try these things out, you know, take take the ideas of, of shifting up the conversations, focusing on the 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 people, the strengths that they have, asking really great questions, listening deeply, getting it feel safe so that they can take turns and share like all of these things are real world life skills that you can utilize and uh, just start using them now, because as you're going into some of the other ones, even if you don't join some of the future episodes, um, you will have taken away something that you can use as a, as a really good life skill to help build out your relationships, your team, and the way you interact with the world. Mm, love that, Rob. So in the full spirit of facilitation, there's one question that you guys know to the T that I wanted to bring up as we start concluding this very first conversation of hopefully many to come. And you guys know this, may, some listeners may know this, at the end of every single of our coaching sessions, whether that's one-on-one, -on -one, whether that's group, we always get to ask people, what did you love the most about our session today, about our conversation today? So that is the question that I want to give to you guys. Cool. Well, I love you and Daniel. So, uh, <laughs> you know, for, for two different reasons, you know, first of all, I love getting to know Daniel at a deeper level, you know, like in front of everybody, which is kind of cool. Uh, and because, because the, the questions that you asked, and, and one of the things that I've always admired about you, Lucas, is, you know, we recognize you as young, you're, you know, you, you, you're, I have a few decades on you right now, but the, the amount of work that you've done and the level of competence you've put in at asking great questions and follow-up and like you've really done the work. So I think you brought out things for us that we didn't realize, made connections for us that that I didn't even realize uh, even in retelling my own story. Uh, so 
you know, so I appreciate that about you and uh, about the style of this podcast as well. Yeah, I, I would echo that. I, I love like what Lucas you've been able to do. And honestly, in a very short time, like ma- the mastery level you gained is just super inspiring. So I love being able to experience that firsthand and also learning about Rob. Um, I learned some new things about Rob that um, I thought were uh, funny and interesting and important. So um, I also just loved like the experience of being on a podcast with, with multiple guests um, and just thinking about like, well, I don't know how often you hear a podcast with, with two people at the same time. And also like, I really loved the, uh, what we're going to do next. Like, just like, like talking about it and also just like having fun making content. This is like super fun. Like I love just having the conversations. Right. So um, yeah. Kudos to you, Lucas. You're doing something really remarkable here. So. Thank you guys so much for the feedback. And I just agree with what you shared about what I love the most about today was really this opportunity to give you guys more insights about each other, which hopefully will be all super useful to you as you move on in your business ventures. As always, I'll be putting all the notes, all the resources, all the people, everything we mentioned into the show notes. Are there any links that you would want me to add to send people to, to learn more about you guys? We will be adding links and sending them out as we get clear on these next two sessions. But just apart from that, if people want to learn more about you, are there a couple links that you would suggest? We'll get those to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So yeah, those will be also added to the show notes that come with this episode so that you can check those out at your own convenience and you guys may know my very final question that i've been asking every single person on this podcast and i truly can't wait for you answers to this and this question is what question has made the biggest difference in your life hmm. Hmm. i'm gonna go with the question that i ask myself when i'm interacting with people and maybe turn it on myself which is what does this person need right now? And so I think that's very useful when I'm interacting with people and I'm always useful in me interacting with myself because sometimes we don't take the time to really honor where we are in our life and what we need. And for me to give that same love, that same care, the same honoring of the struggle that I've been through and say, Hey, maybe I don't need to be, you know, like maybe a walk on the beach is what, I need right now so I think that's probably the question what does this person most need right now that's so good Rob I'm still trying to come up with my question um what would it be it's a toss-up uh, can I tell you more than one question or probably just one right I gotta choose I gotta choose right so um people love questions so if you have more in your mind you can just speak them out and maybe by speaking them you realize which one yeah, so the, the the first question that occurred to me was like a question that I carry with myself since I was really young, which is like, uh, what's the positive version of this? And people call me an optimist, but optimist. But um, I think more recently, the real question has been, uh, what does leadership mean right now in this in this situation or in this in this particular um, group or um, you know any situation? What does leadership mean right now? Um, and when you think about it from a leader's point of view, you realize, remind, reminding yourself that you are a leader in every situation. So that would be my question. I think, what does leadership mean right now? Awesome. Thank you guys so much for this amazing experience. I think we all had a blast and I can't wait for what's to come. Thank you guys. 
All right. Thank you so much. Look, it's such an honor to be on and I really appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely. It was fun. And there you have it, my friend. Congratulations for taking another step on your master's journey. We hope you enjoyed this episode and got a lot from it to improve your life and work. If you did, please consider taking just one action to help us spread the value. Who do you know could really benefit from this content right now? Take a screenshot of the episode, share it with three people that come to mind today and be the one who keeps them inspired and growing. Or leave us a review for the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Any one of these actions takes less than 60 seconds, but one single aha moment could change everything for another person. And if you also want to help me out personally, this would be an incredibly generous way to do so. You can find show notes with timestamps, links, quotes, and other details we talked about in this episode at lucaskramer.net slash the number 25. That's L-U-K-A-S-K-R-A-M-E-R dot net slash 25. If you've got any feedback or questions, if you want to share aha moments you experienced, or if you simply want to connect, I'd love to hear from you. Just send me an email at lucas at lucaskramer.net. That's lucas at lucaskramer.net. As you've heard during the episode, Rob, Daniel, and I are considering creating a trilogy to demonstrate what it looks like when expert facilitators design, deliver, and debrief a group event. Let us know if that will be of value to you and stay tuned. For now, thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the other episodes and have a fantastic rest of your day.